people would it bug you if the, the lectern was here? <laughs> I, I just turned on. Some of you are going, what? yeah, you're right. That bugs me. Amen. Um, you know, Joe, who's doing the in, in grief share, is uh, one of our elders here. And um, he's been, he, his wife Linda, um, have been faithful as elders here. Goodness, Joe, since 95, thanks. Just pick a year, right? That sounds about right. 1995. And um, they went through the transition as Pastor Jeff called called uh, Shannon and I to come and transition the church to, to new leadership. Um, we, we all stayed uh, together working as elders. And then uh, we did the transition and Pastor Jeff and uh, Peggy, um, you know, really kind of quietly slipped out and are, are attending a community church. They really did that, uh, I think, to give me room to grow. Um, as a young pastor, I don't know if you can imagine, but like standing, trying to be a pastor with the other pastor in the room. And at that time, we actually had three retired pastors all in the room. And uh, so, so it was a little tough on me. So I think he did th- they did it for us. But so Joe's been faithful. Um, and when Linda passed away, uh, it really hit us, and we revamped the, the elder board a little bit. It was Shannon, myself, and Joe and Linda, and we really made the official elder board. It was just Joe and I uh, for a time, and for the last four years, we've been praying and looking and seeking God t- for more uh, for those that, that we felt like should be elders. Um, in two weeks, we're going to be um, installing elders, uh, two more elders into the church. Um, Pastor Dave Ogren, who is my apostle in the faith, um, he's been a spiritual leader. He comes every year. He's the one who does Great Commission Media Ministries. Most of you uh, know and love him. He's going to be coming a special trip to install two new elders, and that's it. this is in your little bulletin pamphlet, uh, Pastor Mickey, Mickey Hall, and uh, Bob Taylor. Um, you know Mickey because Mickey preaches often. He, he's up front. Bob Taylor's a man of wisdom who... Um, some of you actually don't know, but we meet together to pray regularly. Uh, we, we, we try to meet weekly that way. If we miss a week, we're not going very long. We pray and we counsel together. Bob and his wife Jolene have been at the church since about 1989, 1990. Um, they were our... Uh, They've been on the board multiple times. That's where you'd know Bob most recently from. Uh, they led life groups. They even left Ventura to live down on a boat, and they started a, a, a life group, but it grew so much it became kind of, as you call it, a house church, but if it's a, on a boat, I guess it would be a boat church. Anyways, so in two weeks, we're going to be installing them as elders, and I want to just share before I get into the message just a little bit um, what is an elder and what do we do here at the Journey Church. Um, an elder is uh, anyone, there's two, there's two types. So an elder is somebody who's an elder in the faith. There's somebody who, who has age um, in the Lord and who has spiritual wisdom um, who, who offers counsel and insight. Just being old doesn't make you a spiritual elder. There's a lot of old people that, that aren't spiritual elder. They are your elder, but they're not spiritual elders. It'd be um, somebody who has walked with the Lord a long time, whose walk is, is um, solid. There's, there's a lot of spiritual elders in the church. Um, and you could go to any one of them for prayer, and I encourage that. They, they, they've walked with the Lord. But there's the office of an elder as well. 
within the church, the office of an elder is um, the spiritual leadership that is praying and seeking God for direction will handle um, uh, difficulties that arise. Timothy, I'm sorry, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and he also wrote to Titus to appoint elders. Let me read the scripture here out of Titus chapter 1. After he gives his greeting, Paul says this to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then it goes on to give a list. Thank you so much. It goes on to give a list. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Then it goes on and talks about things that the elder must do. So the reason I want to point this out a little bit is that you can see if you need to set an order and appoint elders, well, that, do, that means that there's not just old people. Okay? They were already there. You can't make an old person. You can't make an old person in the faith. Setting an order and appointing elders is taking people who are already qualified. They meet the qualifications of this list that are faithful. And you believe will walk with the, the congregation, that, that you'll believe that will help lead the congregation into the next phase um, and so we we have been praying we knew that two was not enough um, we, we we've uh, because of that we've been seeking other counsel when we've needed it we're going to add to our our uh, elder board and uh, you'll get to know them more and more of course you get to know mickey when he preaches jeff uh, joe's going to be up more and more sharing we're going to get bob uh, sharing and getting to know him but these are going to be your official elders of the church and so we're going to get pictures up in the whole thing and so um, I just wanted to kind of announce that's what's happening in two weeks and um, we've really been seeking the Lord and, and uh, um, Pastor Dave as our kind of apostle he's come down for the last couple of years and he meets with us and he's worked already with them we've been meeting together with Bob and Mickey with Bob for about three years with Mickey just for about a year and a half since they've been here and raising them up saying is this who you're bringing to us so they're going to be new elders and that way when you go hey who are the elders of the church that's them and and i want to give a picture uh, if if i if i could and what's the difference between a pastor and an elder well in the in the bible really it's synonymous and the elders were all able to teach they were all leaders um we believe that god um has brought me here and and that i'm the the lead elder we call the lead elder pastor i do the majority of the preaching and so but i want to i want to tell you and i'm looking at this as a good example because it's round uh i really feel like what what the elder board is at a church the elder are not they're not um the deacons they're not just figureheads when we have an elder meeting we get together for prayer and then we have to discuss things in the church I look at it like King Arthur in the round table God has appointed me as the senior pastor of this church the senior elder if you will but when I come up to the table with my group of elders 
All of our swords are in, and I'm just one of the council of elders. I submit to them. They submit to me. We submit to each other, and we all pray. And we have a group of people who isn't afraid to call me out if they think I'm a bozo, which you need to know that. And uh, they, they will call me out um, because we want to lead forward in Jesus. So the Council of Elders is the governing group at the church. Um, and so we're, we're praying fervently to move the church forward. Um, and we think there's great things coming for this body. And we're praying of why we, I don't know if you've realized, but twice in the last couple of years, we grew. We were hitting about 140 on weekends. And then we came back down. And we grew again. And we came back. We're trying to figure out what we're praying through that because we know that God has a plan for this church um, to, to reach more people. It might just be that we need to just bust down a wall. Because if you remember, when we were at 140, there was about 95 to 100 people in this room, and there's 98 to 100 chairs in here. Every chair was full. I'd wa I would be in worship, and I'd watch a couple come in. Don't come late when it's full, right? I, if you, that's ever been you, I'd w I watch a couple sometimes come in. They looked around. One went that way, and one went that way, because there was only two chairs, one in there. At the same time, we had sometimes 40, 45 children over in kids' ministry. It was exciting. It was exciting. Anyway, so we've grown, but then we come back. And, and unfortunately, I've, I've read enough about church growth that that's actually what happens, is that the church will grow, and it becomes uncomfortably full. And then people go, this is too full. It's too hot. It's too stinky. I'm tired of sitting that close to people. And they leave. And I know it shouldn't be that way. We should be excited to come and, and suffer through it. And so we're, we're really praying um, because we, we need to figure out what we're going to do. The next time that happens or maybe before, uh, we're, we'll honestly, we'll probably have to go to two services quickly. And so that way we can lessen it out. And uh, just out of curiosity, if we did an 845 and a 1015 service, okay, who would come to the 845 service? I think that's going to work. Who would l come and like a 1015 service? See, I think, I think, yeah, okay. The young people, um, people with health issues, making it difficult to get out of the home, 1015 probably is really good. I've actually was told by Big Abe, and I saw him. Is he drinking coffee in the back? He's in the hall. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can't miss him. He's like six foot eight. I was talking to him yesterday. He says, you know, I got a whole bunch of people that if you had like a 10 o'clock service, we'd be there. But 9.30 is too early. And I want to say, well, get up earlier. <laughs> right? But if we could reach a, a younger generation, families, I know, um, and you can tell, okay, you can tell some of the young families who have a hard time getting here on time because when they come in, they eat all the food. <laughs> and their hair is a little messy. And here's why. They didn't have time to make breakfast and even comb their hair before they came because it was too early. And I'm not picking on anyone. I just think it's true. I've, I've got kids. Early service is hard. So we're really praying about doing that. We might even just do that in faith sometime soon where we'll have two services. Now, the one thing is we won't do children's ministry at 830 because we know the majority of people aren't going to come for that. It'll just be adults, maybe nursery, snack in between. So because you're not hungry at 830. <laughs> Takes a while to your stomach to wake up. Amen. Anyways, that's just, I just want to let you know that we're really praying about that because um, we, we believe that there's more people to reach.
in the process, you um, can count on a godly group of men to keep leading, to go, go for prayer. And I want to say that there are spiritual, okay, about prayer, going to the elders to call, call on for the sick. There are spiritual people in this room. You know, we got, we got a row of them right here, one right here. All four of these people are, are in the Lord. And if you want prayer, you can go to any one of them and they will pray for you. They're, they're sound people. There's a lot of sound people in this room. Um, you know, Vicky, Vicky, Vicky was in the ministry for years and years and years um, with her husband. Her husband was a pastor. There's people of age who've walked in the Lord. You can go to them for prayer. But there's the official elder board, Joe, myself, Pastor Mickey, and Bob Taylor. Joe, you want to add anything to that? Okay, thank you. Because he loves to share. Just, it's almost every week he's going, when are you going to let me loose? Amen. All right. So we caught up. And it kind of goes, it brings me to uh, where we're at in our, in our character studies. And so far we have found out that there have definitely been some characters in the Bible. And um, remember, as we're in the book of Genesis, going through characters, we've learned a couple of things. We've, we've learned, we've been learning about characters. So we learned about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to go this morning on to Joseph, and we're going to spend a number of weeks on Joseph. We, so we've learned a little bit about these people, but we've also learned that, that when we read the Bible, we're not looking at the characters to, to say, I'm going to mimic my whole life after them. Because some of the characters in the Bible were failures for portions or much, even much, of their life. Even the, the heroes of faith, even Abraham, who is the father of faith. Abraham was faithful. He's in Hebrews. Um, a great number of chapters of Genesis uh, was dedicated to Abraham. Um, J- Jacob had was mentioned in more verses and chapters, but but not as much time was spent to Jacob as it was to Abraham. And um, he's a man of faith. He's faithful. Yet he, we saw some of the things he did. He, you know, he disobeyed God and went to Egypt. He lied about who his wife was, and he suffered some of the consequences. Passed those consequences off to generations. Isaac did the same thing. We found out that Isaac was very little time devoted to him. He was a mild man. Uh, didn't look, really look like he made a lot of great, good decisions or any decisions. He just kind of kept doing what his father did. His big accomplishment, apparently, from the chapter, the one chapter that was devoted to him, was that he dug wells. Okay, he was, he was kind of second place. He was, he was Abraham's son. I don't know if you ever had a, a dad, if any of you had a dad who was like super, super amazing and popular and famous or anything. It's like hard to kind of step in. Well, I think that was Isaac's issue. He couldn't. Jacob comes, and Jacob was a schemer. Lots was talked about. And, and some of us have been schemers in our lives. Some of us still might be a schemer. He, he had all these plans and schemes, and, and he, w- he lived his life, and he lived it often um, apart from the Lord until he finally came back. And we, we talked about that where he uh, had that experience earlier with God, but he even said, you know what, we'll see how it goes. He, he reminds me of people that I know that you see miracles of God in their life. You see, you see giftings and you see things of God and they just won't submit to him. They don't walk with him. They just kind of bounce around doing their own thing for years. And I don't know about you, I want to choke them. Okay, that's that real pastor's heart coming out. Because you just know that there's more for them. That God has done things. They, they have testimonies and stories that they've seen God move in their life. And yet they're out on the fringe still doing life their own way. You see it? You, you, some of you know some of these people. 
Some of it might be some of you peoples. That it's time to you to come to Jesus and say, I surrender and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you my God instead of my dad's God. And that's what Jacob finally did. He became his God. And then, and that, but because he spent so many years in a, in a dysfunctional family himself and scheming against his brother and stealing a birthright that he didn't have to steal because God would have given it to him if he would have let him, he starts having kids and he has a majorly dysfunctional family. Majorly, four wives, 12 children, 13 children, by the four different women. One of his children, his firstborn, who's supposed to inherit everything, goes and has an illicit affair, sleeps with his stepmom. Yeah, isn't that nice? I'm sure it made him popular with his brothers. You just went and slept with mom? Okay, messed up. Judah, in chapter, I believe it's chapter 36 or 37, Judah... Um, He's got, he, he's, he gets older, he starts having kids, and he has three kids. He's quick, just the thing about Judah. Judah has three, three boys. The oldest marries a, a woman. He dies before they can have kids. And in this culture, the next brother is supposed to marry the wife until they can have kids. And they actually have to have children in the name of the first child. And so the first child, the first um, boy, he dies, er, and then Onan, his brother, has to marry his wife, Tamar, and he doesn't want to have kids with her, so he refuses to do it. You can read about that. We won't get into the details, okay? He refuses to do it, and God judges him, and he dies. Jacob, uh, uh, Judah's got a, another son, and he's like, my two boys are dead. I think he thinks that this woman's like a, a black widow. Is that what they are? You know, or a, a praying mantis, whatever. They eat their, their husbands, you know? And so he doesn't give his son to her, and he, and he sends her away. He could have released her. See, w w if you read that chapter, if you were keeping up with us and read it, you go, oh, that's interesting. In that time, he could have released her, and she could have gone to her father's home and remarried. Instead, he says, go to your father's home, but live as a widow. He locked her into a, f a husbandless thing, but refused to give him his son, and he was supposed to. So this is really cool. She dresses up like a prostitute, has sex with her father-in-law, has a baby, and has two kids. This is the dysfunctional family of God. So as I look out today, we fit. Because <laughs> we're dysfunctional. We have issues ourselves. And so Judah, I mean, you know, he, he refused to do what, what God would want him to do. And so he ends up kind of getting forced into it. He, he ends up marry, allowing kind of to be Tamar's husband, but he never has relationships with her again, but he provides for her the rest of the time. Interesting. Her kids become, they're, they're Judah's kids. And from Judah, from the, this line of Perez and Judah, comes King David and comes Jesus. Okay? So God is always on the move. And you cannot mess things up enough to thwart God's plan. So Joseph is the youngest son of this dysfunctional family of Jacob, okay? He's um, the older of two brothers. We've, Joseph, though, becomes one of the, the best examples of, of a leader and of a godly man. 
And we're, that's where we're going to spend some time in here. If there is somebody you could, you could form and fashion your life mostly after, it's going to be Joseph. He becomes an amazing leader. Now, he starts off a little, a little uh, wet behind the ears. We're going to find out this, this morning. We're not going to talk a lot. We're not going to talk about everything he does because there's so many great things. Um, but, uh, and so, Joseph was the, the 11th male child. He has one younger brother, and yet he becomes Jacob's favorite. And I was thinking about this in my study this week. Um, why was he Jacob's favorite? We've all taken for granted. And they said, well, he was the youngest. He wasn't the youngest. Benjamin was the youngest. Well, he was the son of, of his favorite wife, Rachel. Benjamin was also Rachel's son. The Bible says that Jacob loved him because he, he was the son of his old age. And I, and I had to go, well, that, that's it. And I, and I hate to disagree with the Bible, but that was only part of it. Because Benjamin is younger than Jacob, which means Benjamin is the son of his even older age. The son of his favorite wife, the same. I don't know. I, I don't know why, but I'm going to give a guess. Benjamin, who becomes, I think, next in line for his favorite, at the time wasn't his favorite. It was Joseph. And I believe, I believe it's because when Benjamin was born, we read about this already, his mom died during childbirth. Okay? Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Isn't that, we shouldn't have a favorite wife, okay? Men, I just want to tell you, that's not our goal is to have a favorite wife. Okay, well, Shannon, Shannon's my favorite wife. I, I yeah, missed that great opportunity to say, you know, my first wife was my favorite wife. Shannon's my first wife. So anyways, um, so his favorite wife dies during childbirth. And, and here's my guess. This is not a commentator. Like people do, he blamed Benjamin. He probably somewhere deep down actually blamed Benjamin for Rachel's death. And I know a lot of people have done that. And, and I want to take this very seriously. You might have a story that this is already touching on. And if, and if you're feeling something right now, something like that happened, go to Joe's class. Because it's about grief. You need to work through your grief. It's real. It's, it's debilitating. So if this is touching you at all, very seriously, sign up, attend, go through the process of grieving out this. It's so important. I don't think Jacob did. He didn't, he, he, it took him a long time to grieve Rachel. So we have Joseph. Let's read a little bit about Joseph, chapter 39. Nope, chapter 37. Judah and Tamar is in the middle of Joseph. Now Jacob dwelt in a land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. So remember, he, was, he, he worked for his, his uh, father-in-law, got his four wives, came back, and he ends up in Canaan, settling in where Isaac and Abraham were. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, which I, I'm not sure. It, it sounds like uh, Leah's kids aren't there, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. First thing I, I'm seeing here, he's a tattletale. I mean, he, he go, Dad, they were bad. 
They're bad. He's already the favorite son, and now he's ratting out the, the brothers. Now, sometimes you need to rat them out. If, the, if things are bad, you actually do have to do that. But I don't think that helped their disposition toward him. I'm not going to ask because you might even have family in here. Some of you grew up and knew that one of your siblings was mom and dad's favorite. Or at least you felt that way. Okay, they, yeah, we, we all knew that. Sad. Okay, this is Joseph. We're going to talk about that this morning. They, didn't, they knew that Joseph was a favorite. So when somebody's the favorite, what is our natural tendency and response? Treat them badly. We're not, we're not going to like them. You know, we're like, yeah, if you favor, you know, there's something. We start grumbling, we get angry at the kid. Already, some of you are going, that's not fair. Because the kid didn't do anything to be liked necessarily. They just were born. Or, or maybe they're, they're talented, and we, we start resenting that. In some ways, we should actually be what? More upset and hurt by mom and dad. But we usually don't go that direction. That would be a little bit healthier, and then we could talk to mom and dad. But we're kids. Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. See, I told you. Because he was the son of his old age, he, so he made him a tunic of many colors. This comes out. So he's got all of his siblings, and he says, hey, I, I, I don't know if he actually ever says, guys, I love Joseph more, but you could tell. And so just to prove it, he made this special coat just for Joseph. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Poor Joseph. It's, it's a tough place to, to live. Joseph had a dream. So at some point here, Joseph had a dream, and he tells it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. So he's the second to the youngest. Benjamin's enough younger that he's really not on the scene at all here. And so he said to them, Hey, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, were, there we were, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Chapter 9, verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Hey, look, I have had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. This is where it finally gets it right. And his father kept this matter in mind. We, we heard the, the brothers hated him. The brothers hated him. Really? They envied him. Envy is a killer. Let me read this out of uh, a, Bible, a Bible commentary, exposition commentary. The author of a 14th century preacher's manual wrote that envy was the most precious daughter of the devil because it follows his footsteps by hindering good 
and promoting evil. Envy is the most precious daughter of the devil. It follows his footsteps by hindering good and promoting evil. The author might have added that envy has a sister named malice, and the two usually work together. Envy causes inward pain when we see others succeed. Malice produces inward satisfaction when we see others fail. Envy and malice usually generate slander and unwarranted criticism. And when these two sins hide behind the veil of religious zeal and self-righteousness, the poison they produce is even more deadly. His brothers envied him. It wasn't, it wasn't his fault. He didn't choose to be born. He didn't choose to be born by Rachel. He just was. And his father's disposition toward him caused his brothers to hate him because they envied him. And envy is, is one of the big, you know, killers in society, and, and it's, it's just as prevalent in the church as other places. We envy crazy things, and there is a, a mode of envy that has come into every person's house. Almost everyone in this room has this mode of envy that has moved into your house, and it's called Instagram. It's called Facebook, because you see, if you do these things, you see the best life of everybody around. I mean, I love these, these and it's not just young people. It's, it's, and I'm off Facebook right now. If you try to get a hold of me, I'm, I'm not there. I'm taking a, a sabbatical. You see people taking pictures of themselves, and I love it, unfiltered. I'm like, unfiltered, you got your hair done, you got your makeup done, unfiltered, just woke up, you got makeup on already and your hair's done. You know, but, but they also play, they, they take pictures of their kids in perfect outfits, praying at the table. Like, it took four hours to get that picture because they were running around like crazy, but they take the picture of the amazing, perfect kids. Oh, and then they cook amazing meals and they take foodies. Here's a foodie and you see this great plate of, and you're like, wow. And they, and they got the perfect kids and they got the perfect family and they're working out and they're remodeling their house. Oh, and they just came back from a perfect vacation and they took pictures of that and they showed it to you. We don't see the fights that they got driving to the perfect vacation. We don't see the, the kids screaming in the back and dad saying, if I have to turn around one more time, I'm going home. All the things that happen in life. They don't see the burnt meatloaf three times before the good one came out. And actually, they actually probably stole the picture from the internet and didn't even cook it. Anyways, that, you know, they don't see the hours that the, of, at the gym that there, there is difficult to actually attain a body that looks good and they're working hard, but it's really difficult. They post this thing and we envy them. We envy their job, their husband, their wife. We envy their vacations and it comes in. Envy. And then we begin to want for ourselves or sometimes want to see them fall. And I hear it. You know, I've, I've heard people say things like, just once, I just want to see them, you know, fall. You know, I want to go over and I want to see their kids have a, have a temper tantrum. Why? Because envy has turned into malice. 
We, we can't actually say, wow, that's awesome. If they're, if they're, doing, if they're enjoying life this much and that's real, that's, that's great. We, ha- we want to bring them down. You know what? When you go, I, I've heard this. I, I haven't experienced it, so if, if I'm lying, you can correct me and I'll, and I'll recant. But I've heard that when you catch crabs, you can put crabs in like a five-gallon bucket, and you do not have to put a lid on it if you have more than one crab. If you put two crabs, three crabs in a bucket. Because the moment one crab starts climbing out of the bucket, the other crab grabs it and he pulls it back into the bucket. So you don't have to cover them because that's the way crabs just kind of work. And all that sounds kind of, that feels like us. Somebody succeeds and you want to somehow pull them back in, pull them back down, make some story up. Yeah, they look good, but we're always trying to pull them back down rather than just saying, well, that's awesome for them and, and saying, God, what do you have for me? I want to I walk into what you have for me and stop worrying about what you have for them. Sometimes we can have some of the things that they have. You know, you see somebody who's in good shape, you can, you can be in shape too. Besides my little joke about saying I'm in shape, round is a shape. You, you, you can be in shape, you can eat better. You work out, you can do that. You can probably have a better job, you can work harder. That doesn't mean you should. It doesn't mean you can. We need to figure out what we should do. What God wants us to do. What God wants us to be. So going back to Joseph, he tells his dreams, and, and I've, I struggle with these things. You know, some commentators just say, this is it, and other commentators said, this is it, and I go, uh-huh, because sometimes they say different things. In this particular one, some commentators say, Joseph was immature, and he shouldn't have shared his dream. I tend to lean that side. I think he was 17 years old, and he gets up, and he shares the dream. And, and I, he might have even done it a little bit like, <laughs> I had this cool dream, and guess what? I'm the, I'm the guy. Remember, in, the, in this culture, Reuben is supposed to be the firstborn. He's going to rule over the family when dad dies. He's going to get a double portion, and he's actually going to rule over the family. He's the firstborn. Joseph's not that. And so this is definitely, if, if it would have been Reuben, they, they all probably would have said, yeah, don't remind us, dork. Don't remind us. We know that someday you get to inherit a double portion and you're going to be it. You know, that comes with responsibility too. But, but it shouldn't have been Joseph. And so I don't know if he was kind of digging one in. Kids, siblings, I've watched this with my own. I've watched it with others. You get the kid who's usually younger, who can be annoying at times. I was the younger annoying brother, I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> they have spoken. And the older siblings are always getting in trouble for picking on the younger one. But it doesn't preclude that they can't beat the snot out of him. Some of you were, had your big brothers, big sisters, beat you up. Anyone? Okay, that, I did. Okay. Whether they get in trouble for it or not, they still can do that. Why is it that the young brothers sometimes antagonize the older siblings? I'm like, dude, they're going to wipe the floor with you. I've actually said that to, to Sam, and I think I said that to, to Zach, because Zach and Matthew, they went at it at times when they were young. Matthew was super mild. Matthew was super mild, but he's four years older than Zach. Now, today, 
Zach could probably take Matthew. Now, Matthew's kind of big and bulky. I mean, he's, he's got some of that, but Zach could probably take him. But when Zach was 8 and Matthew was 12, Matthew would have creamed him. And I would tell him that, but he would antagonize and antagonize and antagonize. <laughs> Thank God Matthew was mild because he would have walloped him. I am sorry. Mine wasn't either. Machetes, butcher knives, and axes is what he used to torment me with. And he used to beat me with crutches. Ran me over on a bicycle. I mean, he, I was walking on the street. He does a wheelie behind me on his mountain bike and flattens me down. I go face first, and they vroom, just rides his bike over me. Yeah. So uh, that wasn't th that bad. A lot of people had it much worse, Tom. I mean, you may have really had the snot beat out of you more than that. Anyways... Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, th th this happens, and, and the, sometimes, we, sometimes the younger guy antagonizes. Was Joseph antagonizing? Maybe. He, he, he might have been. But, but the brothers begin to envy and hate. But, but I want to, oh, I love Joseph. His brothers envied him, verse 11, but his father kept the matter in mind. Jacob's been around, and he knows that God works in dreams. Remember? Saw ladders in heaven. He, he knows that God works in dreams. So he's keeping this in mind because he's like, wait a second. It's not just that I love Joseph. Maybe there's something godly in this, and Joseph is going to be the leader. Remember, Jacob was not the firstborn, and he became the leader of the clan. So... Sometime later, tell you how far I want to go. The brothers are all feeding the flock in Shechem. That's 50 miles away. And remember, Shechem is the place that the brothers killed the Shechemites for, for raping Dinah. And now they're back in Shechem with their sheep. I don't know why they did that. Commentators don't agree either. 50 miles away, they send Joseph, and Dad sends Joseph. I don't know what he was thinking. Joseph is the hated son, and he's 17 years old, and he's in the house, which means dad is either protecting him already, or he's appointed him as steward of the house, an official job, which would give him authority in the house. And his brothers are way far away doing the sheep, and Jacob sends Joseph 50 miles away. That's a good two to three day journey. Joseph gets lost, wanders around, finds somebody, says they've moved him, and he finally finds them. We're going to set this up for the next few weeks. We're going to take a couple, couple weeks off, but we're going to come back to Joseph in three weeks. His brothers see him from far off, and they are really far from home, and they see Joseph coming, and they make a plan. And it's mob mentality. That's, that's what I, I believe. This is mob mentality. They start talking. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you started talking about like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to go do this? And then all of a sudden you start saying crazy things like, yeah, and then we could like, you know, break the window or we could do this and just talking. And all of a sudden pretty soon your little escalated event is like in your talk is like really like talking about doing some crazy, crazy stuff. I don't know if it's just 
if it's if girls do that, but I know those guys do that. We just started feeding off each other. That's what I think they start doing. Hey, look at who's coming. And maybe it started out as a joke. Hey, we should like, we should kill him. We should like put him in a pit. We should do this. Yeah, no, let's do this. And they started doing that. But as they, as he came closer and closer, they actually got so ramped up that they did it. And they said, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. I'm glad my brothers never did that to me. You know, there were probably times that, that I bugged them. And so they, they devised it. Now, interesting, Reuben, who went and slept with stepmom, who should be the firstborn, should have all the birthrights, but is already seeing Joseph take some of the steward of the house, probably, and have the care of the father, knowing the history that, that things can change, even though they're supposed to be like this, that it can change. Reuben devises a plan, and he says, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit. This would have been Pat. Pat would have done this for me. He's, he's, he's the middle brother. Gary, Gary would, would have done it too. He just wasn't around. But Pat saved me from Jay all the time. So, but in this one, Reuben says, hey, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. And he's thinking, I'll go save him later. We, this is bad. We'll take him back to daddy. He's just a daddy's boy. In the process, he must leave because they end up throwing him in the pit, sitting around the fire, and traitors come along. Not traitors, but not traitors, but traitors. Ishmaelite traders, they come and they go, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill them after all. They're calming down maybe. They said, let's just sell them into slavery. <laughs> I, I, I think that's why they said it with a giggle in their mouth. Let's just sell them into slavery. So they did. You think you had it bad. I mean, they sell him to, to, to slave traders and they take him all the way to Egypt. Reuben comes back and what happened and they're like, well, you know, we did this and so they, they devise another plan. Interesting. Jacob is the schemer. Their kids were schemers too. And they scheme and they scheme and they scheme. They said, we're going to kill a goat. Kill, kill an animal, kill a goat. Put the blood on it. Take the, co the coat back to dad. Tell him he's dead. Um, Partly they were thinking, because if we have to go rescue him, we're in trouble. And if we, if we tell him, you know, we sold him into slavery, we're going we're gonna to have to go get him. Or we're never going to live that down. So being dead is better. We, we find so many things in here. Um, hopefully you can even begin to pull them out. Like, you know, we start going down these roads, and we make one decision after the next, and pretty soon we've crossed lines that should never be crossed. Should never be crossed in your marriage, should never be crossed in your life. Well, I'm just going to... I'm just going to steal a little bit of money from the work, 10 bucks, it won't, they won't matter. And then pretty soon they're like, going, it looks like the, the books are wrong. And they go, man, I better cover up. I'm going to cook the books. I'm going to change the books. And, and then you go, wow, that was easy. I'm going to do some more. Don't start. So he gets sold by Ishmael. I, I want to do this. We'll just go a couple more minutes and we'll close. Because I want you to see a couple things here. I, um, Abraham had two sons, sons, remember? Isaac was the, the son of promise. He was the right son. What was the name of the other son? Ishmael. Ishmael. Ishmael was not God's plan. There was not supposed to be an Ishmael. There was only supposed to be an Isaac. But Ishmael was born and became a problem. The son of the not promise what traders are coming along that end up taking Joseph to Egypt? Ishmaelite traders. 
God will use everything, including the failures, to bring glory to himself. I want to encourage us today that no matter what failures you might have had, God can use those to get you into the place that he wants you because believe it or not, Joseph is supposed to go to Egypt. I don't know how God wanted to get him there. Maybe this was it or maybe he had a different plan. There was a prophecy in Genesis 15 that says, you will go into the land that is not your land and, you, and I will use that land to save you and you will be there for 400 years and then I will bring you out. I think that was one of the reasons that Abraham, after a while, started going, don't, don't go to Egypt to get a bride. Let's not go there yet. I don't want to go. I don't want to see that. Let's not go into Egypt and get stuck there for 400 years, possibly. But, but anyways, there was a prophecy that said the whole clan of Israel would go into Egypt for 400 years. The plan was Joseph, somebody had to get in there, and Joseph was the, the chosen one. God can use even a mistake that you've made to get you there. The problem is, is that you still have to pay the price in the time. What we're going to find out with Joseph is that does he become a man of character in order to, to find and walk in the dreams of God? Because I said that Jacob was a schemer. Joseph is a dreamer. And, and I pray that you can all have a dream for your life that you will begin to walk in as Joseph did and he kept faithful with his dream. And we're going to see that he becomes a man of faithfulness all the way through, even in the bad thrown in a pit, sold to slavery, gone to Egypt, he becomes, we're going to find out, the, the head of the house and is treated less like a slave and almost part of the family. And he works his way up. And other things happen. He ends up in prison and he works his way up because he's faithful and he keeps pursuing the dream. We're, that's what we're going to talk about. But, but we, we, as we end today, we're just gotta be, we're going to rest on, you know, Lord, there's been some things in my life that may not have gone the way you wanted. I've made some choices. I pray that you would redeem them. Because I want to be somebody who has a dream that can walk into his dream. And I want to become a man like Joseph. We're going to find out what kind of man he is. I encourage you to read these chapters uh, from 36 all the way to 50 a few times over the next few weeks. Next week, um, we have Pastor Zach coming to speak. I do not want you to miss. It's going to be a good service. Pastor Zach Hafner, he is starting a home church up here, and, um, and we're, he's going to come and minister to us. We're going to go see our son, Matthew, when we're gone for the weekend. Don't miss, though. Come. Week after that, we're going to install elders. It's going to be a great week, and we'll get back to Joseph in three weeks. Do you have a dream? If you don't, maybe you need to press into God and say, God, give me a dream again. Bible says without a vision, the people perish. The people cast off restraint. If, you, if, you're, if you're visionless, if you're dreamless right now, press into God and say, God, can you give me a dream? Some of you have a dream and it's dying. I want to birth that. If it's, if it's a dream from God, that it would come back to life. And we can be inspired by Joseph who, who ends up walking fully into the dream that God gave him. Not the way he wanted, and it takes over 13 years to get there. Well, we can relate with that. Let's close in prayer. God, we see some falls already in this chapter. We see some dreams given and mistakes made. I think we see the immaturity of, of Joseph sharing that dream when he shouldn't have. God, it caused his brothers to envy, which led to hate and malice. God, I pray for those in here that struggle with that, and we, I think we all do at times in, in differing levels, God, of struggling with envy. God, I pray that you would begin to heal that, begin to help us to see the plans that you have for us. 
God, that, that Judah, who was envious of Joseph, was the heir of King David, the ancestor of King David and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Through his lineage, something amazing happened, yet he envied Joseph. God, I pray that you would help us to be content with what you've given us, and I pray that you would restore a dream. God, to anyone in here who, had a, who has a, a, a dream that's gone dormant or doesn't have something now that you'd restore or give a fresh dream of a future that is blessed by you to walk in what you have for us as individuals. God, as we continue down the character study of Joseph, I pray that you would cause us uh, to become like him in so many ways. Even as Joseph was a, was a type of Christ, God, help us to be like Jesus. And we pray your blessing upon us. Draw us closer to you, step by step, each day, one step closer to Jesus as we walk this journey of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick announcement. I almost forgot. want to invite you. We're, there's a baptism at Community Church today. And um, I am going over there to baptize Marissa. And, uh, and so you guys can, if anyone wants to attend that baptism, it's at noon. Um, we're going to go baptize Marissa. And then I'm doing a, five more baptisms at 1.30. You can't come for that one. It's a private affair. But um, it's exciting. People are getting saved and baptized. And we're going to keep moving forward. Have a great, great week, guys. Yes. Hi, D. Got to turn off.